Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life Podcast with Anna Victoria and Lucas here. Hi, Hi guys. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so today's guest is Mike Johnson, who is a contestant on season 15 of ABC's The Bachelorette and season six of The Bachelor in Paradise. He's an Air Force veteran and a former financial advisor. His new book is titled Making the Love You Want. So, Luca, you know I'm going to fangirl in this episode. Oh, yeah. I I'm a huge Bachelor fan, so I can't wait. <laughs> I, did we watch the Bachelor in Paradise season where he was in? Like, did I watch no, it? No, you didn't. So you, he, his season was by the time I finally started watching it with my own friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instead okay. of forcing okay. you to watch it with me. <laughs> so no, you actually didn't okay. get to see any of his stuff, I don't think, but... I definitely hear his name quite often in the office, so. <laughs> yes, yes our, our entire team pretty much are Bachelor super fans, so they're all super excited for this as well. So, all right, guys, I hope you are just as excited, and here's my conversation with Mike Johnson. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us on Your Best Life. How are you? I'm amazing, Anna. Thank you for having me. Of course. Do you want to start by telling everyone a bit about who you are and what you're about? I'm this guy that like smiles <laughs> way too much, but I quite honestly just love life. Uh, I'm a guy that was on TV. I was on The Bachelor in Paradise, uh, season six and The Bachelorette season 15 with Hannah Brown. Uh, I am a best-selling author of a book called Making the Love You Want, and I'm an Air Force veteran. Amazing. I love that you enter that with a guy who smiles a lot. I also am a woman who smiles a lot. Um, love it. So I have to admit, I am fangirling right now because I'm a huge Bachelor fan. I have been for years. I think I started with Jason Mesnick's uh, season. Yes. But uh, so I'm very excited to chat. And uh, so can you share a bit about what inspired you to go on The Bachelorette? Did someone submit you or did you audition yourself? It's so crazy that you asked that. Thank you for asking. I had, yeah. I lived downtown San Antonio, Texas, and I was a financial advisor working my butt off. And one day, a friend of mine told me to come to a bachelor party, which quite honestly, I hate to say it, I never knew what the bachelor series was at the time. Oh my gosh. This was 2018, 2017, okay. 2018. And I go to this bachelor party and watch the show. And she's like, you're going to be the bachelor one day. I'm like, what? Okay, whatever. And then... <sighs> Yeah, so crazy. And then I was at work one day in 2018, and my friend, uh, he starts laughing at me because I threw my phone. I'm like, I want a girlfriend, man. I'm tired of being single. You know, I'm getting older. I want to start a family one day. He was like, bro, you can get girls like you're a decent looking guy. Who says that? And I'm like, I want the real thing, man. And like, yeah. after him laughing at me for like 45 minutes, uh, we got to, you know, start talking about stuff, other stuff. But uh he sent me a Facebook request, which was to go to a casting call for the show. And so Got I just it. Okay. I went to the casting call, just walked up there. 
Amazing. Yeah. And and as you mentioned that a girl said, one day you're going to be The Bachelor. We all wish that was true. I think I speak <laughs> for myself and all of my girlfriends and just Bachelor Nation that we would have loved, like, come on. I'm okay. I'm kind of fangirling out right now, nerding <laughs> out, but like Peter, he was great, but like he was not The Bachelor we deserved. Like that would have been you. Anyways. Okay. Done with The Bachelor talk. So, um, <laughs> were you nervous to go on TV and share your life or was it kind of a natural experience for you? Quite honestly, I was not nervous whatsoever. My mom was like, are you going to at least watch a couple of episodes? I'm like, no, I'm good. And then <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how big the show was. I think that was to my advantage. You know, I didn't. Yeah, totally. I was just being completely transparent of who I am as a person. Everything that came out of my, my mouth was my words. And yeah. I just knew I wanted to find love, quite honestly. That's why I looked at it. Yeah, amazing. And I remember, if or if I remember correctly, that you talked about the queens in your life, right? Your mom. Yes, yes. And that you, that you have a lot of women surrounding you and your family. Um, yes. How did that impact your, or, or just like even today, how does that impact how you treat women in your own life, like personally in your relationships? The first word that comes to mind is, uh, everything. <laughs> in yeah. fact, everything. I grew. Uh, my women, my queens, are my mom, my sister, my grandmother. And I remember growing up and seeing my mom and my grandma cry over guys, right? And mm-hmm. I was a kid. And I wanted, to, you know, I got pissed off because I'm a man in the house and I wanted to protect them. And so it taught me one: all the guys listening, you're never going to win an argument against your girl. It's just not going <laughs> to happen. It's just not going to happen, right? So I learned that mm-hmm. pretty early on. But then I also learned too that women pay attention to every single word that you say, you know, and your word is all you have. And so I take that to heart in every relationship that I have, whether it's, you know, someone I'm dating or whether it's a colleague that I have a, a work relationship with. And so everything that I do is, is based off of that. Amazing. Beautiful. I think that's something that a lot of men could learn from uh, you on. So it, in you wrote a book called Making the Love You Want. Yes. And uh, which, by the way, you said that you're a best-selling author. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, so what was that experience like? What, what What's the main message that you wanted to share in that book? Oh, that experience was, quite honestly, extremely difficult. It was mm. difficult because my book is not about being on TV. My book is not about mm-hmm. uh, the bachelorette experience, which most people would probably anticipate it to be. My book is, quite honestly, about self-love, how to find it, how to obliterate your self-limiting beliefs, how to stand in your power, how to overcome certain things and how to achieve what you desire. And so for me, the spine of the book is my story prior to going on TV, you know, the things I did in the Air Force and then uh, things I dealt with growing up uh, from sexual harassment, uh, from a babysitter uh, to dealing with, you know, me being a little hoodlum um, and then finding my light. And coming out of that, you know, joining the Air Force and learning about different cultures. Um, and that was the hardest thing, quite honestly, just to speak about like the depression that I've gone through and going to the hospital, seeing a psychologist and those things. Wow. That's hard. That's the hard stuff. Yeah. And that's something that you don't normally hear men talking about, right? Yeah. Normally men try to put on a facade or just try to, you know, be super strong and like that nothing phases them. And it sounds like you just, you know, were, were you always so open to sharing about your struggles or is this something that over time ended up happening? I think it happened over time. Um, In 20, was it 2015, 2016 for about 10, 11 months, I was in my house 
just by myself going through a super depression because my ex and I broke up. Um, yeah. And I quite honestly, the way I got out of that depression was simple. I just, well, it wasn't simple at the time. Uh, yeah. But I realized that at the most basic function of me, I want to be happy. Not anyone else. I, me, myself, and I, I'm, I'm saying that in a selfish regard. I want to be happy. And so I broke down that and I broke down how to make myself happy. And the way that I make myself happy is to make someone else happy. But in, to make someone else happy, I need to be genuine in my approach, right? And in my whole perspective on life. And so I realized that and that changed everything for me. So I would say from about 2016, 2017 on out, I've been, it's been easy to talk about anything that I go through. Cause quite honestly, we all go through the same crap. We really yeah. do. We really do. Yeah. And if I can be a vessel for someone else, like Brene Brown says, you know, vulnerability builds bridges. And so I just want people to know that, yo, I'd be going through the same crap, man. I'd be going through the same yeah. crap lady. Like, you know, and so to me, it's not hard anymore. Yeah, but it takes courage still to even, even oh. though we all go through the same stuff, like it takes, and especially being someone that is in the public eye, everyone wants to be looking like they have it all figured out, like on Insta, right? You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Insta is its own beast. That's true. Social media in itself is just, uh, it's, I was talking about it earlier today how social media was intended to be such a good thing, but yeah, it's, it's painful. I remember, um, a long time ago, my social, I had, it was a picture of this little girl. She may have been eight years old and she's a, a, a regular weight of eight year old. But you know, when you scrunch over like this, we all have like a yeah. little flag yeah. or whatever. Skin. She had a, yeah, that's, that's what's called skin, right? And she yeah. had like a, some type of magazine, like where there was uh, lingerie, women in lingerie and she has scissors in this hand. Yes, I know the picture. Yes. And that picture like mm -hmm. legit changed my life forever. Yeah. Like, I don't have yeah. children as of yet, but I refuse, and I can't say that strongly enough, I refuse to have an outside influence affect my future children. Right. And so I knew that I wanted to be a positive light in this world. And it does take courage, like you're saying. You know, I actually relate to that so much because I saw that picture pretty early on in my social media, you know, career, so to speak, which it started yes. as an accident. I did not, like, I started on Insta before it was a thing back in like 2012 and um, so, but I saw that picture early on and for me, the story that went along with that image was about how do you talk to your daughter about her body? It, the, the question. And then the answer was you don't, and you also don't talk about your body in front of her because that is what is going to start planting those seeds of, okay, if mommy is criticizing her body, then, and, and, and especially you know, young girls always look to their mothers as they're so beautiful, no matter the imperfections that they have. Um, so anyways, I just, I love that you bring that up because I had the same exact experience. And now that I do have a daughter, she's nine weeks old. Yes, <laughs> so yes. uh, just a little thing. Um, you know, it's something that I've been super conscious of. And I've always listened to the stories of my community and my followers of how did we get to this place where I think that the study was done that like over 80% of women feel insecure on a daily basis about their body. Wow. And, you know, I was thinking, how did we get to this place? And so many women have shared that it started from when they were five years old or eight mm -hmm. years old. And someone made a comment about their body or someone poked their tummy, you know, or said, you know, certain things. So I, that that is one thing that I've tried to use my platform for is just speaking against you know, that and, and instead, you know, 
messaging that focuses more on taking care of your body and your health, regardless of what it looks like. But on that note, I actually got one of the questions from my followers. Um, She said, how does Mike feel about the intersectionality, the idea of working out for aesthetics versus working out for health? Is there a time where one, is it okay to focus on aesthetics or should it be primarily just for health reasons? What are your thoughts on that? First off, whoever asked that question deserves a high five. That's a beautiful question. <laughs> like I've never been asked that question and I love that question. So I think personally, to me, I'll answer it, but then I want to go a little bit further if I if I may, if I can. Yeah. I think that baby do what makes you happy, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is, and I'll speak specific. If me specifically, I want to be healthy, which I physically am healthy. I go to the doctor regularly, I am physically healthy. But also, I want to accomplish things that I've never been able to accomplish. And I think that body-wise is one of the most disciplined aspects because it's only one hour in the gym, but then 23 other hours outside of the gym. And so to me, I look at it as, from aesthetics and health, a, a form of discipline if you so choose. Yeah. If you so choose. And again, if yeah. you so choose. So for example, mm-hmm. if I want to have a uh, a stomach that I personally, me, myself, and I, Mike Johnson, approve of. If it when it happened, it's like, wow, bro, you put down a tequila. You know, good job, right? And <laughs> right. so I think that right. if there's a, a lady that lady wants a butt or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been working out for three years. That's going to feel so good to her, right? Because of the discipline and the lifestyle that is formed from doing such a thing. Yeah, changing our bodies. To me, I look at it from a sense of not vain, but more so more so confidence that I did something, that I did something that no one else can, you can't take it away from me. I put in three years of dieting incredibly hard, if you so choose. Now, along goes, it, baby, if you want to look like <laughs> the way you currently look and you just as happy, be by all means. And if you want discipline, you can get an MBA or, for example, you know, and be just as disciplined yeah. also. So I think that is a per person uh, thing. And I was going to expound, if I may, and say that yeah. that's like someone that chooses to get plastic surgery. Right. Yeah. If a woman were to choose to get breast augmentation, the thing that I would say is, do you feel good? Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a person that will ever say don't do that uh, because I don't live that person's life. Right. 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 I do want that person to know, however, your aesthetic is not the entire form of you. Right. Right. And so a Kardashian, as we all know, to be like the most popular women, whether we think they are attractive or not, there is more to their aesthetics. And so I would I would tell anyone that that were to get plastic surgery or that would try to gain or ascertain a certain body type. Beautiful. Great. And in your book, as you mentioned, um, you talk about some really honest and heavy stuff, which takes, as we said, so much courage. Um, Would you say that writing the book was a therapeutic experience for you? One million percent. I I can't emphasize that enough. I I speak to you today in such a a happy light one because your energy is amazing. I'm I'm, I'm radiating off of that. But uh, my book was, I call it when I was sending it to my editor, we would go back and forth. I call it uh, my therapeutic homework, my emotional homework, because there would be nights where I couldn't just write. I, I just couldn't write because it was so hard yeah. to get through it. Mm. I knew the topic. I knew what I had gone through in that time. 
and I didn't want to relive it, quite honestly. Right. There are certain things in the book that I didn't want my mom to know, not because of oh, wow. how how bad I may have acted in certain scenes, but I didn't want her to feel as if she couldn't protect me. Yeah. Wow. And you also talk about practicing self-love as a gateway to freedom. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Those are the exact words I say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I know those words. I wrote those. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. And I could say it in two different ways. One eloquent and one from a pop culture aspect. Um, self-love is a gateway to freedom because once you, not necessarily once you have it, because I don't think that one will always have it. But once we go on the journey to achieving such a thing, and you know, once we fall down, we get back up again. It's a gateway to freedom because no, no one can have constraints against you, right? So the things I talk about in my book, never again will I have to be ashamed, ever, be scared, ever. There's a time where I remember when I came out of that depressed state uh, back in 2016, and I went back to becoming a financial advisor. I remember leaving the room, running out, throwing, and I hyperventilated and threw up because I felt that I wasn't worthy enough to be in the room with all those guys, right? Yeah. And it was because I'm a black guy that has tattoos and they were all like in their 50s or older, nice, really nice white guys. Yeah. I called my homeboys afterwards and they cursed me out something good. They, they, <laughs> they, they laid it in on me. They're like, my, you're worthy enough, you could do this. Yeah. But once I went back into those rooms, I would you know, be dressed appropriately, but I would speak about the things that I feel are different in a positive light. And guess what? It made our conversations that much better. I have yeah. a difference about me, right? And then I would say it in the pop culture aspect, think about 8 Mile. When mm-hmm. when um, Eminem went on stage and he was rapping and he started rapping about himself, he's like, I do live in a trailer park with my mom, blah, blah, blah. That's him loving who he is in that mm-hmm. moment. And that's his gateway to freedom because can't nobody take it from him anymore. Mm-hmm. He broke through that gate in that movie, in that one scene right there. It's such a pivotal scene. I don't think people realize that is self-love. That's standing in your power. That's obliterating mm-hmm. your self-limiting beliefs. That's exactly what this is. Beautiful. I love it. I'm actually tearing up. It's really profound. Um, and an, another thing that um, you talked about is not seeking validation from others and casting off those limitations, kind of like you just said, um, that people put on yourself. So it's a, a beautiful message, but how does someone actually do that? Yes, that's a hard one. Yeah, and It's a hard one because I think of what we just talked about, social media, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said before, self-love isn't something that we have in it. And then it's like, okay, I accomplished that. Self-love is a, it's a, it's an ongoing thing. You know, I wrote a book on it, but yet and still, I look at my own social media aesthetic and I'm like, oh man, I could have looked better in that picture. You know, I could have done that. And I think at the end of the day, the way to get it is to catch yourself in that moment, yeah. right? To be able to catch yourself and say, and to give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. Hey, I did this. Okay, Mike, you know, stop looking at yourself in that picture too long. It is what it is. You look yeah. good anyway. All your homeboys wish they had a, somewhat of a body like you anyway, so stop tripping, right? Uh, while me, I'm looking at the next guy, you know? And like, it, it's, a, it's a crazy world. There's an image as well. We always want what someone else has. There's a, a person in a wheelchair looking from their second story bedroom, wishing that they could be the person riding a bike. The person in the bike is looking at the person that's driving the Mercedes Benz. Mm-hmm. Person in the Mercedes Benz is looking at the guy or the girl pull up to their yacht, right? There's always more. And so mm-hmm. once we realize every single thing in this earth is about perspective 
and just being happy. And like I said to you, you the the you're you're radiating energy to me right now is just making me so happy. That's literally what it's all about. That's all quite honestly, that's all people care about anyway at the end of the day. That's the biggest secret I could tell. I could be standing next to Rihanna or The Rock or Tom Hanks. And if I'm not, if I am radiating energy in a party, guess what? All those people in that party are going to want to be talking to me, even though I'm a nobody yeah. in comparison to them when they're like A-list celebrities, right? And it's because I'm radiating that positivity and that energy. And so that's mm-hmm. what I would tell people is just to give yourself grace when you catch yourself. Mm-hmm. Always remember that you are beautifully made the way you are. Look in your mirror, do the exercises in my book. That's the exercises in my book are the things that propel us to even reach that level, right? Um, and then once you do reach that level, know that you're not perfect and give yourself grace and know that your perspective and your attitude can change so much. Yeah, amazing, beautifully said. And you also talk on, in regard to self-love, about needing to master self-love before finding romantic love themselves. Do you think that one needs to come before the other? Yeah, so uh, that's that's such a hard one. And the reason I say it's such a hard one because I feel that self-love is a journey throughout life. Until I take my last breath of air, you know, it's always going to be a journey. And I feel that you need to be at least on that journey and wanting to be on that journey before you can love someone else. I'd say it, I'll say it that way. Um, You may not need to be on my level to where you're writing a book about it, but at the very least, Mm -hmm. be vulnerable enough to your partner, which I shouldn't say at the very least. That's like a huge thing, quite honestly, to do. Um, But be able to, have courageous conversations with your partner means that you're on the journey to self-love. You know, can I just say that I love how real you are about this topic? Because it's not like you're saying like, hey, just go love yourself. You know, like it's going to, you know, solve so many problems. And it's like, you are like, you're not always going to be there and it's a journey. And I commend you for that because I do think that that is the messaging that people need to hear. And it's kind of like the anti-Instagram message of like self-love is every, you know, it's like, it is everything, but it it's not all like it can't always be the number one thing that you're fixated on just because that's not life, you know. Absolutely. And people end up people end up feeling guilty for not being able to do that, right? So right. just saying kudos to you. I feel like that's really healthy messaging that you're sharing. So toxic positivity is a thing. Like it really is. Can we talk about this for a minute? Because <laughs> As we mentioned in the beginning, we're both very smiley people. In my whole life, I I have been, and truly just, just genetically myself, I am an optimist. I've always been a very happy person. And I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. And um, I I am just innately optimistic and, and positive. My husband is not so much. So I we're like, we balance each other out. He'll argue that he's a realist, not a pessimist, but whatever. So, but when I started hearing this idea of toxic positivity come about, um, I always try to kind of take a step back and like survey what's going on in these conversations and then figure out like, am I doing something in that context and knowing that I'm such a positive person, like let's say in a fitness sense, you know, like saying like no excuses, just get it done. Like that can be really toxic because a lot of people are like, um, no, I have a lot of excuses. I have a family or I just had a baby or this or that, you know? So I try, it's hard because like, I want to be inspiring and, you know, for some people that like no excuses messaging is what they need, but there's a lot of people that it's a little discouraging. 
Um, so for toxic positivity, for someone who doesn't know, do you want to explain a bit about what that is? Yes, for toxic positivity, I, the way I would explain it is someone that is BS. They they act as they go they go about life and they speak as if everything is always and will be always and will be perfect. Everything and always will be will go the right way, right? And I think that the way that you as an influencer on Instagram, the way that me as an influencer on Instagram connect more with our fan base and our family and our friends and our extended family, aka the fans of people that follow us, yeah, is to be authentic. And the way to be authentic is yes. like today is a hard day, you know, <laughs> right? But the right. But the ability to say, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist, right? And just <laughs> like your husband says, and just flip it, yeah. that little small nuance really does help. It really does. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, I, I've been, you know, kind of, uh, like I said, surveying these conversations with toxic positivity just to be aware that I'm not overstepping that that line because I know that I can, I feel like growing up I've had, not the best upbringing in the world and my defense mechanism was positivity that is how i survived and got through and you know came to terms with things that happened in my life you know and you know that was just my my coping mechanism and but for someone else that could kind of cause a, an opposite reaction it might it might not be survival for them it could be their downfall so anyways just yeah thank you no, that's, um, that's that's big yeah um it's something that I've, I've reflected on a lot because i've wondered like why why am i an optimist like why why do i always um default to looking at the bright side or finding a silver lining and i realized it it literally i had to growing up like it was a survival you know defense mechanism so so I have some questions for you from uh, my followers. <laughs> so um, I actually had to sort through them. The ones asking you to A, marry them <laughs> <laughs> or asking if you'd be back on The Bachelor uh, or The Bachelor in Paradise. And I kind of know the answer to that question. I'll let you elaborate on it, but you're dating someone. So I assume we're not going to be seeing you on our screen anytime soon you don't have to go into detail but is there anything you can tell us um that i would never go back on bachelor in paradise <laughs> okay oh heart's breaking a little bit that's okay i mean i assume that that means that you're very happy i am making the love that i want <laughs> great okay we'll leave it at that so my first official question for you speaking of is how has your love life been different after the bachelorette and bachelor in paradise Yes, a great question. So when I immediately came into this newfound uh, awareness with people knowing who I am, I said nothing has changed. But in all honesty, things have changed. And what I mean by that is now, if I if, if I am dating someone or, or if I'm not dating someone, people analyze every single thing, right? And so let's say you're a married woman and I am not a married person. So let's say we both live in Austin now and mm -hmm. we are going to talk about something that we're going to collab on in the future and we decide to meet up at, I don't know, Whole Foods, right? Mm -hmm. Someone could take a picture as a fan, upload that, and now if I am dating someone, they can feel some type of way about that, right? And so, yeah. and I'm in my head, I'm thinking, babe, I was like literally at Whole Foods, she's married, she just had a child, yeah. you know, blah, 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 <laughs> whatever the case may be. But it comes extra... Uh, things that you have to focus on, you have to be extremely, when I say extreme, I mean, you have to be extremely transparent in your, in everything. Like uh, I could take a picture with a gorgeous woman that I, I would normally be attracted to 
um, but she's a fan. And if I am dating someone, uh, the person I'm dating has to be really confident in knowing that yeah. I didn't do anything with that person, right? Right. I just, you know, took a picture with that individual and kept it moving. Um, so things like that happen. Um, I have dated in the public eye before, and yes. <laughs> and it's just it's different. There, it's just different. It's different. Yeah. Has it made you more protective over your relationship now? Uh, yes and no because I mean you might catch me in these Austin streets just happy as can be. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope I do. I hope I do. Yes. Um, the next question is: How do you stand in your power in the days you feel bad and weak? I'm gonna say something here that is. Uh, an opposer to what people know of me to say. And this is something that I like what you said earlier. I was going to bring it up, but this is the perfect time to bring it up. You said that growing up, your defense mechanism was to be a, a optimist and be positive. For me, it's very simple. When things like that occur, I say to myself, the only easy day was yesterday. And that is not the most positive thing to say, right? But yeah. it's a very, it helps me to realize that, hey, in the past, I used to eat toilet tissue in uh, my homework paper because I was hungry for dinner, right? Wow. That was the uh, that was the easy day. And so when something occurs in the future, it's like, wow, okay, I made it through that. I'm going to make it through this because that was the easy day. Hey, that's how I look at that. Yeah, okay, amazing. Um, how do you stay grounded in the bachelor world, which can be very materialistic and shallow? Oh, that's so easy. Uh, I'm just not that guy. <laughs> like, really, I'm yeah. just not. Like, my, home, my homeboys talk crap so much about me <laughs> it's just our thing right my sister yeah. my sisters don't even know half the stuff I'm, i can tell her i'm doing this she's like and, <laughs> and oh so, my gosh that's great yeah. so the people around you too keep you grounded as well oh, absolutely. Like. absolutely yeah that's great i do think on that note i've seen this i, I saw it recently i can't remember where but it was just talking about how like money and fame don't make someone materialistic or make them a good or a bad person it only shines a light on who they really are there right? you go that's a fact yeah. i was going to say that it just it just it's fuel to the, the flame what's yes. whichever side like if you're right. a humble person people are like wow he's really humble or if you're like an egotistical person and you're broke Guess what's gonna happen when you get rich and famous? Right, right. Still, so it doesn't. Yeah. It's all people listening. Money and/or fame, it don't change you whatsoever. It will. It can make you question things. It can be like, wow, I could do that there. I'm not gonna yeah. do it, but right, it tests yeah, you. Yeah, right? yeah, it tests you. That's what it does. Mm -hmm. It does test you. I can say that honestly. Yeah. Um. Now, how about describing your perfect girl? <laughs> <laughs> um. Describing my perfect girl, someone who is, she has a passport. <laughs> or <laughs> That's great. I say that jokingly, but it's so serious. Because like, if you don't have a passport and we start dating, a passport will have to happen. Because uh, I love to travel. Yeah. I love to experience different cultures. I want a, the perfect girl for me would be someone who wants to experience a life outside of what she already knows. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who is a sexual being. Um, someone who will respect my mom uh, and love my sister as her own and someone who will, who will teach me something and be my biggest supporter. And it can be cool that she's my biggest com uh, competitor as well. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't expect that last one. I imagine several women making a, taking <laughs> some notes right now. <laughs> yes. um, 
so something I want to touch back on something that you brought up earlier um, about being the only black man in a room and with tattoos in a room, room full of white men. And this is a conversation that is, you know, really blown up in Bachelor Nation in regards to diversity in the franchise. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like they've made progress? I know we have Matt coming as the next Bachelor. Taisha is the next <laughs> second mean, Bachelorette of yeah. this season. Um, so do you do you feel like they're making progress? Um, they're making progress, but progress is uh, this isn't something that is like hit it in the park and done. You know, this is something right, that right. will continually need to be done. And it's quite sad that it took the wonderful people of Bachelor Diversity and all the almost 200,000 people that signed petitions to, you know, raise attention to it. That is quite sad. Uh, yeah. But on the good th- side is that they're listening. Yeah. I'll say it like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, they have you as a great, you know, person. I think that can step into that limelight and set a good example. So um, so who do you think is the ideal reader? Who would you suggest should buy your book? The person who should, quite honestly, I, I talked about this with my uh, ad copy guy for we're doing like Facebook ads now and stuff. Um, he was asking yeah. me this question. The ideal reader, I would say, is between the ages of 25 and 44, 45, uh, simply because I feel like that's 25. I feel like someone is like starting to find who they are as a person. And then on the on the other spectrum, like around 40s, early 50s, someone who uh, is going through a different chapter in their life. Yeah. They may be like, it may be a woman who is like the CEO of her company or a guy who's like the janitor of his company. And they feel like they've been, they've amounted to their highest plateau. And so they're looking for the next thing. And they're, they're feeling some type of way about themselves. Uh, but then also it could be someone who literally is searching for something that they're missing. They don't know what it is that they're missing, yeah. but they know they're missing something, right? Yeah. Um, to the person who literally, I remember um, this one girl, she told me that she lost herself in her relationship. Mm. She didn't know who she mm. was. She didn't know who she was anymore. You'll, you'll find yourself in my book. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, amazing. And I think that that actually happens a lot more than people expect in relationships. And I can even say, I mean, and I don't want to say this in a negative way at all, but becoming a new mom, you know, like, for example, I had to go out to an appointment and this is so silly, but I had to stop at Target to, to buy something and walking in, I was like, I feel like myself kind of like I'm no longer like mm-hmm. a, just a around the clock milk machine, you know, and like tending to a, a newborn, you know, like, the, and, and that not that that's something that I ever want to like escape from. But like, I think that there are different times in our life and different scenarios that, you know, where we do lose ourselves. So there's nothing wrong with saying that at all. I think that see that right there, that was the authenticity that people resonate with you. Yeah. I have a friend, she told me that she's like, Mike, she calls me Mikey, Mikey. <laughs> I'm not trying to be rude. But sometimes I, I wish people didn't ask about her child because they never ask about how she's doing anymore. Oh, yeah. They, they always say, how's Aurora? How's Aurora? And after 10, yeah. 10 years of that, you're like, are you going to ask how I'm doing? And so, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then another thing I want to go back to is you talking about how y- you being vulnerable as a man and talking about your feelings and how that, that is something that you had to learn how to do over time for the men that are listening. What do you, how do you suggest they start in a world that there's, there's so much toxic masculinity and telling them not to feel their feelings. The person that they like will like that. And I say that hitting straight home. It's not, that's not a a scholarly thing to say, but I I know that people take action 
to ascertain something, right? And if you want that girl, that guy, whatever it may be, that person will like to know that you have substance, you know? Yeah. And if you can be genuine in that substance, because people may not know what you're going to say, but people can resonate with genuine or not. And so when you're genuine in that substance, um, therefore that person will resonate with it. And also me doing the things I'm doing right now, I'm being a leader amongst my peer group. And I'm not talking about people on TV. I'm talking about my family, my friends. Right. Mm. And so by doing that, they are seeing the reaction and then they will, my, I have homies right now that one of my best friends, he's working out and speaking about his struggles with that. He got his mom mm. to start working out now. Right. And so yeah. when you stand up in that and speak about your emotions, you become a leader. Yep. Lead by example. Yeah. I think, and that's where it really starts, right. Mm -hmm. Is in your circle and, you know, leading by example. So, um, Mike, I have two more questions for you. So first, the name of the podcast is Your Best Life. And the whole point of that is, is that there's no such thing. Everyone wants to pretend that they have their best life on Instagram, yes. but we all have different experiences and different priorities and different things that have allowed us to live our own version of our best life. So for you, if there was something, an experience or a thing in your life that has allowed you to live your own version of your best life, or if you're still working on it, what would that be? Still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so, it's so funny because like I've told the homies, I did Good Morning America. And then later on that day, um, I ran out of gas, my car overheated, and I had no air conditioning. And like, it's so funny, the two, wow. the two parallels. I'm like, so on yeah. such a high level. And then, oh, there goes life. You know, the little yeah. gas light came back on. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say that. I love, I just, I love how real you are. Like, <laughs> it, I, we, that's what we need more of, you know? So um, my last question is, where can people find and follow you and order your book? Oh, you're so sweet. Uh, you can go to you can go to Amazon.com, uh, find search for Making the Love You Want by Mike Johnson. You can hit you on Instagram at Mike underscore Johnson, or you can go to my website and get a signed copy of my book at MikeJohnsonSmile.com. Amazing. Mike, this was not only so inspiring, but the realest podcast I've done. So <laughs> thank you so much for being so candid and thank you so much for your time. And I hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Thanks. All right, that was my conversation with Mike Johnson. Luca, what did you think? It was great. I think I, I really admire when, you know, he was sharing that it's really important for men to share, you know, emotions and feelings. And and I completely agree with that. And I think it's something that I'm actually pretty open about. Yeah, if I were to say you are like the anti-toxic masculinity like type <laughs> person, like you are like more emotional than I am a lot of times, which oh, is yeah. great, uh, which I love. Totally. Totally, totally. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I can cry. <laughs> Sometimes um, I come yes, into, but yes. yes, absolutely. Especially when it comes to Aurora these days. Yes. But would you say, Luca, would you say that that's a cultural thing? Or do you still think aside from culture, sure, there might be an element of that, but, or is it more of just a personality thing? It's a personality thing. It's 100% personal. It's definitely not part of the uh, Italian culture to be. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean... Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit, definitely like, you know, we overall have some kind of, you know, Latin people, it's like, you know, more passionate, you know, we definitely yeah. are not afraid to share more of our emotions, that's for sure. So maybe there is a, some kind of a, a little bit of a cultural thing besides personality, but I do still believe it's still more like 80% personality, 20%. Okay. Um, cultural, <laughs> yeah. 
Now, what about the optimist versus pessimist? Would you say?、Oh, I stand by my definition of myself, <laughs> my personality. I'm not a pessimist. I think I'm a realist, and obviously, compared to you, and I think honestly, you're not so optimist that you become, you know, a realist. Is that、yeah. a word? Is、um, that a word? A realist? Unreal, probably、know. not. I would say not a no. realist, but not a realist. Yeah. yeah. So, but definitely, there is a difference between my approach to. Things and your approach, right? You know, there is a contrast. You're definitely an optimist person. I'm definitely more, <laughs> I say, realist. But you know, okay, okay.、Um, yeah, no, I would agree. But you know, it's funny because as I said that, I grew up and kind of created this optimistic outlook as my defense mechanism. You grew up, and I feel like, I mean, okay, I don't want to say that you didn't have any struggles in life, but I think that you still had like. You had very supportive and loving parents, and a lot of support in the family. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's because you didn't need to have that as defense mechanism. That you know, it didn't like come into the forefront of your personality. But I don't know. What do you think? Is that a bit presumptuous to say? You know, it really depends on honestly. It's hard. I think having a good father figure is extremely important. Yeah. If your father and that's、um, and that's what I think it's it's my opinion,、uh, but when you have a a father that is very present and it's a good role model, and which my father was,、yeah. and and my grandfather as well, I think there is a very small chance that your you grew up being you know in the toxic masculinity and and that kind of mindset. Well, and as long as. That father figure is also leading by example, right? Just like Mike right, said, no, as, you know, role model. Right? Yeah. yeah, it needs to be. Yeah, if it's a good role model for you,、uh, I I think what we are lacking is、uh, good father figures, good、yeah. men that are good role models. Yeah, and that's where I think you know because toxic masculinity really, it's I don't even call them men. I mean, they're just、mm. not good. People, yeah.、Uh, that's my opinion. You know,、yeah. I could be completely wrong, but that's what I think. Yeah. Well, guys, let us know what you think. Share your thoughts in the Facebook group or on Insta. We would love to hear,、um, and we will talk to you guys next time. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word, and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast@gmail.com, and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production.